Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, pod fans, to this week's happening edition of the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Here once again to save you from seven days of not knowing about the world of tech. This is your regular weekly missive brought to you by the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Macworld UK, and Computer World UK. Every week we gather the clans in the audio tent of our mystical festival farm field, <laughs> opening and closing our mouths in order to bring you no more than 40 minutes of informed chat on the hot tech topics of the past seven days. That you hear us with perfect clarity comes courtesy of our sponsor, Audio Technica, who provided the mics on which we are throwing together this highly calibrated word of pod. I'm Matt Egan, Editorial Director of IDG UK, and today I am delighted to be joined in conversation by the wonderful Ashley Olsop, Engagement Editor of Macworld UK and PC Advisor. Ooh, hello. The wondrous Chris Martin, Consumer Tech Editor of PC Advisor. Bonjour. And the One Direction loving David Price, Acting Editor of Macworld UK. Uh, hello. You're not a One Direction lover at all, are you? I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just point out, Matt did that in one take, the first take. Spot on. Pretty oh, exhausted. Yeah. Tired now. I feel like I can't breathe just listening to it. <laughs> you guys are going to do the heavy lifting from here on in. <laughs> this week, we will be discussing ebooks versus actual books, email versus messenger and collaboration tools, and ransomware versus you, your sanity, and your wallet. You need this. So strap yourself in and off we go. Ashley, welcome to the pod. Uh, you're our <laughs> resident reader, and I wanted to pick your brains on the world of ebooks. This week, Apple was turned away at the steps of the US High Court in an action that means that the ebook wars are essentially over. Amazon's won. Uh, it's the only player that matters in this expanding market. But ebooks, to me, don't seem to have changed or developed a great deal uh, over the past few years. It used to be quite a disruptive, exciting tech, and, and now it's just a thing. And I know that you're not particularly a fan of ebooks, are you? No, not at all. I actually really, really hate ebooks. I hate the whole idea of it. Um, just because then you just don't get the physical book. You don't get to feel it. You don't get to smell it. You don't get to organise it on your bookshelf. I mean, I've rearranged my bookshelf as kind of a hobby. And, you know, I love to... I... Could do that on your Kindle. You yeah. can't. You can't do the rainbow shelf. That's what I like. I've done a rainbow. You shelf. could change your library and and project that onto your TV. You could. It's not the same thing. But the, what's a rainbow thing? Well, it's you know you organise it in colour. Oh. Colour cover. Deeply colour. impractical. Yeah, wow. it doesn't. It doesn't help when you're trying. To <laughs> I want to read a red book today. <laughs> but more seriously, it actually. I just think in fifty years' time, say, 
you know, how are you going to read those ebooks? We don't know what's going to happen in 50 years' time. The technology that we've got now is not going to be the same. So are we actually going to be able to read them or not? You're always going to be able to read a physical book. Yeah, the figure I always quote, uh, always goes down one on Twitter, is that the Doomsday Book was completed 930 years ago and we can still read it. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> will we be able to say that in 930 years' time about your Kindle? Yes, because it's a digital file. As it's a collection of noughts and ones. So as long as we're able to understand software, we'll be able to understand ebooks. But what if technology, what if all of electricity disappears? You know, haven't you ever seen those those futuristic TV shows? <laughs> Are we talking about young adult fiction? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Then we will be burning our books to keep warm. No, but then you need to create a whole library and you can't do that with digital files if there's no electricity. You know? I do think there will be a lot of compatibility problems. Um, yes, it will be possible to transfer things, but it can be very difficult. It's already difficult to play games from you know systems that were discontinued yeah. ten years ago. But that's that's due, that's commercial. That's a commercial consideration thing. Yeah. That's software, and uh, you know it, I do think it is slightly different. I do take your point, but I do think it's slightly different because uh, an ebook file is an extremely simple thing. Really, um, it is a lot easier than say a music library or something. Or even videos where the, there's loads of different formats and standards. Yeah. I've given up trying to keep my music library in order. But let's but, just imagine, for example, that you uncover a lost civilization, and there is, in one scenario, there is um, a vellum, is that a thing? A vellum manuscript on the floor, and then you you know you spend time deciphering it. You could you could theoretically discover what it said. But if there's a Kindle on the floor of this Atlantean civilization, yeah. it will have degraded a long time ago. You yes, might think I mean, it was the bone of a dinosaur and cut up the whole skeleton from it. Or, or, you know, like, was it the Victorians? You'd build a temple out of it and uh, yeah. just chuck it in the wall. Um, I, it could I, be like that, um, that walrus in the Horniman Museum where they'd never seen a walrus. So when it was sent back from the cold climate from which it came, from which pole it was, uh, they uh, inflated it like a balloon. So there is a walrus in the Horniman Museum that looks... Uh, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. <laughs> it's worth going to see. enjoying it. Is, yeah. it. is it said Horniman Museum? That, that's I the name that. of the museum, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm amazed you haven't been there, David. Back to the point. So you guys all hate trees and you want to keep chopping them down in order to make books in order that aliens <clears throat> can read our culture. But there is another point to it, which is that if you... like. Things have happened in the past where Amazon has accidentally, or maybe on purpose sometimes, deleted books, and it has deleted it from everyone's Kindle. So if they're halfway through reading it, and then it's just gone. Yeah, It's a worrying bit of control to give a corporation yeah. over a work of culture which has already been disseminated into the world. So that point I can get on board with. So I would say that you know, the, the convenience and scalability of ebooks is, in my view, a good thing. Leaving aside the convenience of reading, so the fact that I can read on any device of mine that I own, I don't actually. I have a, I have a Kindle, but I don't actually use it because I typically read on my iPad. And if I don't have my iPad with me, I can read on my smartphone, and it picks up the book where I was left off. I don't have the anxiety of finishing a book and not having the next thing because I've got books stacked up in my library because it's just so easy and convenient to make a purchase. So I'm very pro ebooks in that respect. I'm also pro the fact that you can write and publish an ebook really simply. Yeah. It does it does democratise that whole process. However, the amount of control Amazon has over the market is, I would say, something that's uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not sure that we're going to lose uh, works of art because. Uh, you know, anything that's out of copyright, for instance, Google has spent a lot of time um, digitising those works, which actually preserves them for longer, I would say, 
Um, but it's not healthy that one company like Amazon has so much control over the book market. It is a big shame that it's Nook that's gone down, although they are an American so company. So Nook this week primi- exited, exited the UK market, right? Yeah, so they're pulling out of selling all digital content and handing it over to Sainsbury's, which already has been selling digital content, including films and ebooks, for a while. But it's a bit worrying in the sense that they're handing everything over. It's all a bit unclear as to how it's going to work. People are going to get given vouchers if their books don't match up with Sainsbury's library. And it's all a bit like, hmm. Well, I mean, it's not good for several. It's not good for authors, actually, because I have some experience with publishing through Amazon. And it's great in the sense that you can get to market. But it's actually really unclear how much your book's been sold for. And you're totally in their hands. If, If they decide to change the price one day or change the amount of commission you get, that's kind of, that's that's the deal. You just have to live with it, and it's not good that. So, for instance, right now, I believe Kindle owners have to update the software. Yeah. See, Ashley's got a point with you know, a book doesn't go wrong. Whereas yeah. at the moment, anyone with a fifth generation or below, I think that's right, Kindle needs to update it, update it before twenty second of March. Otherwise, it's going to effectively die. And that's which is a bit ridiculous. Well, it's also a really unhealthy sign of a market that's dominated by one player. Because you couldn't do that. In smartphones or PCs or whatever, you couldn't say you have to update or your your device will be bricked because there are other players in the market, so you would lose lots of business through that. And to be fair, books do go wrong in in the sense that paperbacks don't last very long. Yeah, you drop them in the bath. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they can go wrong, but, I mean, it's... It's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty uh, tried and trusted and successful piece of technology, isn't exactly. it? A paper-bound but, book. Uh, yeah. Um, just to clarify it's um fourth generation kindle touch up to and fifth generation paperwhite that needs updating and it won't just do it you need to go and do it how does one go and do it uh supposedly a man is looking some stuff up (laughs) on the internet you need to go into the home screen of your kindle select menu then choose sync and check for items and you're Kindle needs to be plugged in overnight, apparently, and connected to Wi-Fi. This right here is the future of media. Yeah. It's writing an article, then looking it up and reading it out on a podcast. <laughs> Does anybody else do that thing where... Because I do also read paper books. I'm not against paper books. Uh, and actually, sometimes it's cheaper to buy a paper book from Amazon again. Uh, so I do that. Um, but I do also find myself pressing on the right-hand page to... Move to the next page. No, that's, <laughs> that's just me. Okay, well, I, I've never read an ebook, so I don't know. So I can't really say. What I'm you're against ebooks and you've never read one? No, outrageous. <laughs> I'm kind of in the middle. Like I have proper books because I like the experience, same as Ashley. But at the same time, I can see the pros of having a Kindle and yeah, just carrying, carrying that around taking that on holiday and not having to choose like you don't have a to few books your that you're going to read but I don't actually I don't actually agree with that because I think you go on holiday the most you need is I go, I go for two weeks each summer to France and sit around a lot and I get through three books what and, that, and that's all you that's read all you, faster yeah I, I read what? like in two weeks I read maybe ten yeah. I would, I would, I'm slow, I would say that I don't want to necessarily make that decision before I leave anyway um <laughs> I'd be so probably only in a fortnight. 
just anyway. All right, you're all embarrassing I'd me. Probably, I'm, no, slow reader, but... I'm the slowest. I would probably not even read one book in a couple of weeks, but I don't necessarily want to choose what that one book is. Yeah. But the point, the point I'm making is that um, it makes sense for music to go digital because when you're walking around, then you like to have 3,000 songs because you yeah. might listen to anyone at any point. But books, generally speaking, you're reading one book at a time. Nope. Um, generally speaking, normal people <laughs> no? are reading one book at a time. I always have two or three books on there. Or you have two or three, but that's not quite in the same category no, not, as no. I want to listen to any one song now and it only lasts three no, minutes. No, and also, it, I don't always reread books, whereas, I, whereas if I like a piece of music, I'll listen to it multiple times. Exactly. So when I go on holiday, I, I can all right, I can manage with my three books, and then maybe I'll pick up another one here and there. Um, but music, I wouldn't want to be stuck with three CDs, because... But you do go on holiday to a library, don't you, so... I do. Well, there is a library there because it is a house, but um, actually, not all houses have libraries. To a, that's wow! That's Good a, lord! It's a terrible thing to imagine. This just proves um, how posh David is. That was. I'm a... not sure that applies. Posh people don't read anyway, do they? They don't need to. Posh people have libraries. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't use them, do they? Uh, is there also a scullery and a passage under the ground from the kitchen to some scullery? Yeah. The murders happen. Do you go on holiday to the Cluedo house? We go to Midsummer. Hmm. Uh, Okay, on that bombshell, <laughs> let's go around the room. I'll be in the, the room. billiard room. <laughs> <laughs> With a candlestick. I think I know the answer to this question, but uh, let's quickly go around the room and say ebooks versus paper books. Chris? 50-50. Uh, David? I, I very much prefer books, but incidentally, which hasn't really come up, I prefer digital comics. Okay. Ashley? <laughs> um, obviously, books. Paperback. I'm broadly speaking an ebook guy, although don't discount the paper book. We're back in a couple of seconds to move on to our next topic. So, Chris, let's talk email. This week, the godfather of email, Ray Tomlinson, passed on. At the same time, we're increasingly talking about using collaboration tools such as Slack in our working lives, and messenger and social media tools are still growing in popularity. So I just wanted to ask, what is the state of email? How do you find using email? And is Ray Tomlinson headed to the great inbox in the sky or the spam filter down below? Good questions. Um, I'm sure I speak for everyone around the table when I say that my email is something of a daily battle more than something that I like doing. I'm sure all of us, oh, yeah, all, all of us get a lot of email that is just junk and or people trying to get us to look at something that we are probably not interested in. Yeah. Um I've had I've had so many emails to my work email asking to buy things from <laughs> from like building supplies to beehives. And it's just like I don't understand why those kind of things happen anyway. You look like the kind of guy who would like a beehive. <laughs> I'd quite like to keep bees one day maybe. Yeah. Well, he sell separate, the beehives. That's though. a He's separate topic. Yeah. 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 They're they they'd bark up the wrong tree there. Yeah. Um, my personal email is kind of just newsletters from various retailers trying to get me to buy stuff. So that's uh, yeah. So this is not a not a mostly positive uh, view of email. I guess it's uh, it's I mean it's ubiquitous at work, but I guess it's it's an important functional tool for work. This it? is the problem. It's not like we can just switch it off because yeah. we need it. Because when that important email comes in, it's it's obviously makes a difference. Um, and obviously we use it a lot to communicate, but it's just spotting that email that is actually worth reading yeah. is the task. And I, and I always think training yourself to use email in an effective way. So 
you know, to check it every hour or so and to switch it off at a certain point of the evening and all those things. Um, how about you guys? Uh, how's your experience of email? Um, I I don't like it, um, but I, I feel like I should um, defend Ray Tomlinson a little bit here because it's something that transformed the. Oh, it's a brilliant invention. It's just, it's just it's sort of outlasted. It's just it's, been abused. Well, exactly. Yeah. This is the problem: is is that it's it's susceptible to spam because you don't have to pay to send messages, and so it's become completely um, overrun by people that, yeah, as you said, abuse it. Um, I personally, I find that Twitter and, you know, fingers crossed, Slack is going is gonna to do the job as well um, because email is, is just this blunderbuss effect. You can't, you can't make out the, uh, um, the, the gold in the, uh, in the river. <laughs> I've gone down some weird classic David. analogy. But I, I wondered whether, so I heard this argument yesterday and I think it's quite interesting that the sort of positive future for email is that those other tools are taken away because one of the problems for email has been that it's so ubiquitous and it's so constant and it's there and everyone has to have it if you work in an office environment that it's become a repository for all this crap that actually in some ways so we're talking about using a collaboration tool like slack that could take some of the weight off email and you know, you can sort of filter out those marketing messages and personal messages can be done over a messenger service or over social media. Um, an email actually it, it was intended, as the name suggests, to be electronic mail, to be something that can't be ignored but doesn't have to be responded to immediately um, and can be used for formal communications and for sending documentation and for longer, more in-depth communications. And the, the rise of rival tools should actually make email use better is that plausible uh i'll believe it when i see it to be honest i i feel more pessimistic in the sense that um i suspect that those other um methods will become increasingly as bad as email rather than email becoming better because i you know we've seen this with um texting texting spam which at one point we thought well at least you know they can't send us messages because they have to pay, pay for each message but then they've soon found ways around that and Everything gets they. spam on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, every, everything gets spam on it eventually and becomes. Yeah, we get spam on Twitter and sometimes even on Facebook. Get spam. You get spam on everything. I think so. It's going to yeah. happen. There, there must be some way for them to break into Slack, and I'm sure they're just well, trying to work out how to do it. Hopefully not. But I, I actually quite like email. <laughs> now I'm going against everything again, but because. I, I find it quite satisfying. You can tell. You don't have to open every email. You yep. can tell which ones are important. Yep. It's quite easy to delete the ones that aren't. With a, I don't open probably 90% of my emails I never open. Well, especially using uh, Gmail, as we all do for our work email. Yeah. You just archive everything, don't yeah. you? So I, I'm, I'm broadly speaking in yeah. the same camp. And then um, when you do get a really good email, it's quite exciting, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they can be like really good. They can be exciting emails. It is nice. But, and, I, and I've trained myself to basically delete. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Without reading. Yeah. So I can just see triage. who it's from, kind of, yeah. you know, the stupid subject lines, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Some of them are, some of them do trick you, though. Yeah, yeah they um, do, yeah. But yeah, it is nice getting a... A good one, but I think training yourself is a key thing. So I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm I'm exactly the same. I can be a slave to it, but I train myself not to. So I typically spend my train journey in the morning, really sort of sorting through, triaging email, not necessarily responding, but just setting up what I need to respond to. And I try very hard to respond to email in bursts at most once an hour. Um, and what I like about it is what I worry about with other media is an email will still be there when you get back to your desk, when you get back to your device. It is like the post in that respect. So professionally, when we're using it at work, if I'm sending you an email, I'm not expecting you to respond to it straight away, but I am expecting you to uh, read it, acknowledge it. Um, And I I don't think there's another medium that works exactly like that. Something like Slack could be really great, but it concerns me that it could be ignored as well. The problem, the why. See, I'm I'm kind of with you. With I'm not quite so excited about using Slack. I, I like the idea of a lot of our communications being moved off of email because yeah. it's going to make going through my email a bit easier. And for example, the thread for this podcast is takes True. up my whole inbox yeah. when I expand it. Um, oh, I said I was going to do it. On Slack but equally, as well. it's people tend to send an email only send an email when it's actually worth it mm. whereas in like a chat window like slack i think it's so much easier for people to just yeah have a and ramble about something that doesn't matter and we've already time. got loads of gifts going on yeah. and it, it's already a bit <clears throat> annoying <laughs> so there's some truth in i guess what what has been said around the room what david said which is that uh you know if you create a medium then people will behave in a certain way towards it whether it be incoming spam or the potential to waste time within it. But different people have different experiences. I remember that I used to use email a lot more than I do now. And when I became editor of iPad and iPhone user and I started getting all the PR emails from people who wanted to have their products featured, suddenly that was it. I was on all the mailing lists. And ever since then, I get, you know, 200 emails a day instead of, yeah. you know, 10 or whatever. And Maybe I, you just I can't need possibly... filters set up. Yeah, so it's, you know... It's I think there's filters. an argument for people using email better. Right? Yeah, it, Definitely. I think we kind of just get on with clicking delete a hundred times when you could spend a little bit of time making sure that a lot of that doesn't get through. Yeah. But no, yeah. I mean, I do this as well. I just go, oh, well, I'll just sit here and press delete well, it's for so half easy. an hour. Especially on your phone. Yeah. I, I just swipe right all the yeah. time and it's just, it's gone. Yeah. You know? And that's fine. It kind of, it, it works efficiently for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, I think broadly, broadly speaking, you know, email itself isn't broken, although it hasn't, developed a huge deal in the past sort of decade or so but potentially the way we all use it as you say Chris could be could be improved somewhat um, well there was the dream a few years ago that it was going to get smart that things like gmail um, were going to learn to filter things for you not with rules but with just learning what you like but it does filter quite a lot I mean if you look in your old mail you'll see a yeah. lot more messages than yeah. Um, yeah but the issue is that we never really trusted that it, ha- it has to be done without us knowing almost otherwise 
I would be worried that it was going to filter well, off. Also, potentially we're in a slightly unique, slightly unique, you can't be slightly unique, we're in a unique situation in that a lot of what we consider nuisance email comes from people who are contacts of ours, who yeah. are sending speculative PR outreach. I'm sure this happens in a lot of professions, but we get a lot of emails that aren't actually of interest to us, but do come from genuine humans yeah. who, admittedly, they're sending everyone in their inbox an email, but yeah. it's not spam. It's just nuisance email. No, but our email addresses get out very... Yeah, well, our email addresses are public. Yeah, they're very obtainable, so we get sent requests for all sorts of things and they don't really spend the time looking into whether it's actually... Slightly angry emails from people saying, you didn't pick up my first email about reviewing our app. (laughs) Sorry, dude. Some of of them have literally replied to their email like more than 10 times saying I'm sending you this again yeah. and yeah, it's like in case you missed it yeah and it's like wow, come I really on miss it so much as <laughs> yeah. read it because it was rubbish yeah also um, I hate that thing where they put um, RE colon yeah, space that's a clever one. That's on a, a fresh one. email yeah. as if you've sent them a reply that's yeah. really I always click that and I'm like no oh. yeah or forward oh. yeah <laughs> those are the little tricks I like ones that are no subject yeah, I love those. Mysterious. <laughs> Can't help but click on it. Well, the one I've just given out the help. secret how to get an yeah, email. So Chris underscore. How to get me to read an email? No subject. It's mysterious, isn't it? It's the art of uh, it's the art of seduction. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, I think we've entirely covered email, but let's just uh, quickly go around the room to to make our decision on Paul or Ray Tomlinson uh, inbox in the sky or spam filter down below. Chris. Great invention, but it's annoying. But we still need it. So. <laughs> so not the inbox in the sky or the spam filter down below with some sort of purgatory yeah. which is I guess uh, yeah pending or but a uh, nice one. yeah okay it's in a nice pending tray okay David <laughs> inbox in the sky spam filter down below or nice pending tray uh, heaven definitely heaven it's an amazing <laughs> isn't it? It to heaven. inbox <laughs> in the sky Ashley also yes I'm inbox in the sky as well brilliant I like it. I'm also inbox in the sky Ooh. good old Ray he's up there apart from for him yeah <laughs> yeah, I feel like we. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> what does that mean? Good for him? What? No. No, that's what I want for him. But oh, what? It's, don't worry. <laughs> you want him to go to purgatory? <laughs> no. Wait, what? I want him to go to heaven. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> I think inbox in the sky for him. The way email has been abused, not so nice. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. Are you clear on that, listener? Good. Excellent. Take a minute. We'll be back shortly. David, uh, we haven't really mentioned Apple yet, which I think is a first for the uh, UK Tech Weekly <laughs> podcast. So listen, what's the deal with this ransomware story? Uh, well, it's uh, it's the first fully functional Mac ransomware. You have to be careful because there was one bit of ransomware for the Mac uh, in 2014, but it was discovered before it was complete. Um, so this is the first one that's actually getting anybody. In the wild. In the wild, exactly. Um, but to go back to the basics... Um, Hopefully this isn't too patronising. Ransomware, in general, a kind of malware that gets onto your uh, system and does something bad to your system, and then the people that made the malware get in touch and they ask you for some money. Uh, so in this case, uh, it's called Key Ranger. I think that's how you pronounce and, it. And are they asking, just to be clear, are they asking you for money to take the malware off, or is it because they've locked down some files? Or Yeah, that's it, the, the latter. Um, it encrypts 
all the files on your on on your Mac in this case. Yeah. And you can't access them and they're useless and it's uh two thousand and forty eight bit, so you can't even you can't brute force the encryption or anything like that. It's it seems to be very, very secure. So, so for those Mac users it's all their like important work documents like how to make a macchiata and you know <laughs> it's very pretty good. important stuff. Very good. And the screenplays they're working on of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um uh, uh, yes, so they're asking for one Bitcoin. Um, and for those of you that don't uh, have any bitcoins, that's worth about four hundred dollars. So it's quite a lot of money. So they, they're getting in touch. I've actually got um, that's some exchange rate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> invest in bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a powerful currency. Um, I've got the ransom note in front of me, which sadly is not made of um, cut out bits of the Telegraph. Is it in Comic Sans? <laughs> um, no, no, it's not. Um, it's um, it, well, it, no, because it's a it's a dot text file that is attached to every one of your encrypted files. So you get lots and lots of these ransom notes, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually really polite. And what I really like is that it says we have a ticket system inside. So if you have any questions, you are welcome. <laughs> um, so it, it's actually got better customer service than Apple itself, I would say. <laughs> um, ironically enough, uh, but there should be an Apple evil genius part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but uh, luckily, not many people seem to have been caught out. Uh, as I understand it, the way that it worked was that it was um, it was distributed via uh, a piece of software called Transmission, which is a BitTorrent uh, client. And if you downloaded a specific version of this, I think 2.9.2.90, then um, KeyRanger came along with it. Transmission themselves updated their software to get rid of it so 2.92 was the one that you had right. to update to to not get caught out and this happened i think two days later right okay so you have to have downloaded it in this two-day window mm-hmm. and i as i understand it again there is a three-day wait it sort of sits dormant on your system before it starts encrypting things Rook. so if you were sort of on top of it you should have updated before it did its sure did its naughtiness so i've seen i've seen one person on the transmission forum who got caught out that's where i got this ransom note from but most people i think are okay so it's so not a huge the, one literally the only way to get around it is to pay is that is that the or or just go to a backup so you'll have lost right. you know everything you had since you last backed up your yeah. Mac, which going by a lot of Mac users I know might not be ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sadly, but yeah, it's 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 awful actually, and I don't think you should pay the ransom obviously because that encourages this sort yeah. of thing. But if you you know just lost, you know, let's be serious. If you just lost a novel or something, then you write probably... it on paper as discussed previously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's probably worth four hundred dollars. So yeah. it's pretty scary stuff, particularly yeah. for Mac users <clears> because. We, I'll say we because I am a Mac user. Um, we, we've got used to being a bit smug about security matters in general. A bit smug, um, <laughs> giving us something else to be smug about. Uh, and yeah, it, it, the danger is, is complacency as a Mac user because Macs. I I don't know if I'll come up against any opposition here. Macs, I would say, are indisputably safer than um, Windows-based PCs, but they are not completely safe. And, yeah. Well, um, so, so let's unpack that point. So, so Macs are indisputably safe for two reasons. One is it's, it's a Unix operating system, so it's sandboxed. And this is actually quite a good example of that. So uh, the vector of threat is not that a virus will get in and cripple the whole machine, because it, it just can't do that. It can cripple an element of the operating system. Um, so in this case, you know, the users have, have in effect invited the... Um, the threat onto their machines, which is what happens mostly in the Windows world as well. But then the other the other reason that Macs are more secure is that 
because it's marginally harder to infect than a PC and because there are way more Windows PCs in the world than there are Macs, then most criminals don't bother targeting the Mac world because they're lazy, essentially. If they, if they were driven go-getters, they wouldn't be uh, <laughs> in the uh, cyber-criminal world. It's but a low, it, low-hanging fruit. Yeah, but it, it, it does bring up this hoary old question of whether Mac users should use security software. And what are your thoughts on that subject? It's one of those situations where I would say, do what I say and not what I do. Um, I, I think anybody who ever asks me, should I use antivirus on my Mac, I would say yes. Um, I mean, but would you, antivirus have prevented this particular threat? Uh, no. Yeah. No, I believe not. Um, it, a lot of the time it's going to come down to, what do they call it, social engineering, yeah. human error. Um, you have to be convinced into which agreeing is, to something. Which is indisputably the case in all um, uh, internet security threats now, including mobile devices and Windows. If, I, if, if I'm running a Windows PC, I absolutely will have security software because there are just literally millions of bits of malware floating around that will, if, if they find an unprotected PC, will just nudge their way in there, which isn't the case in the Mac world. Mm. But you know, the, the chance of you being hit by something nasty, the likelihood is you would have done something. You'd have clicked a link, gone yeah. not something that's your fault, but you'd have clicked a link, gone somewhere, opened an email or something yeah. like that. Um, so I would actually, you know, I'd openly say to people, if you're running a Mac, I'm not sure I'd bother paying for the security software. There are free options available. Yeah. So you should be okay with a free one, but you know, maybe I've only ever right. used free. Yeah. Well, these days with Windows, it comes baked in, doesn't it? And mm. again, I, you know, I, security software vendors will tell you quite legitimately that their products are more proactive and offer better levels of security. But again, whether that means you are significantly overall safer and i you know i do spend 50 quid a year or, or 60 quid a year i think it is now on norton um so i'm you know again i'm sort of the reverse of you david i'm not practicing what i preach but um i think you could it's quite, quite a dangerous thing to say but you could you know certainly in the mac world i would say not run antivirus software I, I mean i can i can confirm that i've got a macbook air at home that i've had for i think about three years and has never had any antivirus product near it and it's fine yeah um, and i have one that's the same for about five yeah. years and it's fine but I, it I, depends on your usage your internet usage yeah. i guess well, what are you suggesting <laughs> well no but this is this has come from people using a torrent hasn't it yeah exactly so you know yeah that's true actually there, there's a temptation to think that this is somehow poetic justice and well, that's that that fair poetic course, justice but, but there's a reason why um a malware maker would target that particular audience. And it's a bit like in Better Call Saul, where the guy uh, is a criminal and then goes to the police when he's robbed. And it's like, no, 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 once you're acting outside of the sort of accepted norms of behaviour, you are automatically more vulnerable to being targeted in this way. Mm. Uh, the use of this thing, we always talk about porn, I'm going to mention <laughs> the word porn. But there used to be this thing that, you know, you shouldn't visit porn sites because... Um, they were terribly riddled with malware and stuff like that. And my understanding uh, <laughs> is that um, that is no longer the case because, as always happens with that particular industry, it cleaned up its act fairly quickly because it re- it relies on digital distribution. Um, but I do think that you know if if you are delving into the murky world of of sharing files over torrents, then you are slightly more open to risk than if you're behaving in a entirely legitimate way. Leaving aside the whys and wherefores of that particular debate. Yeah. The interesting side of it, for me, is the 
commercial element. The idea that, and this has been going on for a few years now, but that Malba has moved from being um, the sort of um, playground of, of, of talented teenagers that just want to cause some trouble to being a systematic way of extorting money. Um, and this, again, speaks to the low-hanging fruit side of things. That if you are... Um, if you are some kid and you just want to show how clever you are, then you might well write something for a Mac just to prove that it can be done. But if you're trying to make money, then obviously you go for the biggest possible market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it is it's a huge industry. There are parts of countries like Russia or parts of the Far East where the best and brightest do actually end up writing malware code because if you, you know it's, it's to do with exchange rates and stuff. But if you can extort a Bitcoin from someone mm. in the West. That's worth a lot more if you're in a, a poor country. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think this says to us about the Bitcoin then? Is this well, is the, that, is the yeah. Bitcoin going to become the de facto currency of crime? Well, it's an it's an interesting uh, thing there because you know I wouldn't put any money into Bitcoins. <laughs> it's 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 a house of cards. I mean, I love I love the concept, but um, the idea that it's got any intrinsic value is uh, is pretty shaky. But I suppose if you want an anonymous way of getting cash from one part of the world to another part of the world. It's a pretty good way of doing it. Yeah. I don't think international law is going to approve of that for very long. There, well, has, they, to, there has to be something in the pipeline to deal with this, to crack down. But again, it's a classic thing of who who's, who's making laws understands Bitcoin and who's going to bother spending the time to get consensus between multiple governments to deal with Bitcoin. Mm. It's very low on people's political priorities. And also not dealing with Bitcoin. There's nothing wrong with Bitcoin. A global currency actually in some ways makes a lot of sense. But they should call it doubloons, I think. That would uh, make more sense in this Make it seem case. piratical. Which exactly. Seems appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Good. So I'm uh, going to go quickly around the room. Say, you know, Macs, are they secured? Do you need an antivirus? So Mac, antivirus, no antivirus. Chris Martin. Might as well. Might as well. <laughs> I don't price. think you need it, but I think you should have it just to be on the safe side. Ashley. Yeah, I think you should have it if you can get the free version. They are quite good. They can be good. I'm going to say don't bother, but that's just because <laughs> I'm a crazy fool. <laughs> good. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks ever so much for your time, and thanks for listening, listener. Uh, you're great. You do a great job. Uh, do get in touch to let us know your thoughts and opinions and to shake us down for cash. Uh, you can tweet us at UK Tech Podcast or email editor at idg.co.uk with questions, thoughts or spam email. Uh, we'll be back next week with more informed opinion on the hottest topics in tech, courtesy of our good friends, Audio Technica. Until then, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. UK Tech Weekly Podcast.